This program is made possible not just in part, but entirely by the support of listeners just like you. For details, visit the website at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to a gigantic edition of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from markfiore.com, Countdown, The Young Turks, The Colbert Report, Ring of Fire, The Progressive Magazine, The Jimmy Dore Show, The Daily Show, Media Matters, Le Show, and The Rachel Maddow Show, with a bonus video clip today for our iPhone app users from The Colbert Report. From a parallel universe, light years away comes Little Green Man. What are you doing? Going to work? How do you guys get around? Well, we drive things called cars, which are powered by gas or petroleum, which is basically the squeezings of giant lizards and plants that died millions of years ago. See, we suck them up through humongous tubes stuck thousands of feet into the planet. Our entire economy hinges on these dinosaur squeezings. Nations and leaders rise and fall based on how much of these squeezings they have. A lot of the time, this lizard juice is thousands and thousands of feet below the bottom of the ocean. So we have to float on top of the waves and stick a super-duper long tube over 800 fathoms under the sea. Sometimes things blow up and kill people, but that's just the beginning. Animals, plants, and uh, livelihoods die, and hope dies a little bit too. Then it's time to lower a giant dome 5,000 feet under the sea and suck the squeezings onto boats. See, we pay professionals billions and billions of dollars to go all over the planet with their goo-sucking technologies so they can bring the lizard juice up through miles of rock to the surface for our cars and stuff. Why don't you ride a bike to work instead? Mm, because driving is really just so much easier. What a day for a daydream What a day for a daydreaming boy And even if time ain't really on my side It's one of those days for taking a walk outside I'm blowing the day to take a walk in the sun And follow my face on some of this new mode law the edge of an oil slick more than 100 miles long is less than three miles away from land from the mouth of America's River from the Pasalutra Wildlife Reserve, one of Louisiana's fragile marshland ecosystems. But in our third story tonight, it's already made an impact farther away in Washington. The president today unleashing the federal government to respond, and even though Tea Partiers don't seem to mind this government bailout, Mr. Obama assured taxpayers private industry will be picking up this tab, too. While BP is ultimately responsible for funding the cost of response and cleanup operations. Uh, my administration will continue to use every single available resource at our disposal, including potentially the Department of Defense. Triggered by the explosion and sinking of a Gulf rig more than a week ago, the spill itself from the pipe that once connected the rig to the well almost one mile down is now gushing five times faster, says the government, than BP first claimed, pouring 210,000 gallons into the Gulf every day, putting it on pace to surpass by next week the milestone 1969 spill off Santa Barbara, California, putting Mr. Obama on the defensive, the White House hinting it could reconsider plans to expand offshore drilling. As Huffington Post reports, the administration gave BP some exemptions for this rig based on BP estimates of a worst-case scenario that was better than this spill, and that BP executives pushed back against new rules last September, claiming the industry's current safety and environmental statistics demonstrate that the voluntary programs have been and continue to be very successful. 
And though BP is now considering cleanup methods never tested this deep, including underwater chemical dispersants and a 100-ton steel dome, earlier this month, Sarah Palin told Republicans in New Orleans, no more study is needed to drill for new oil in the Gulf. We can produce it safely and responsibly. We don't need more studies. We need more action. Because energy produced in America is security for America. And it is jobs for American workers, jobs that can't be outsourced. Let's drill, baby, drill, not stall, baby, stall. That woman is an idiot. Let's bring in Joe Rome, senior fellow at the Center for American Pro uh, Progress, the editor of climateprogress.org, and the author of Straight Up. Thanks for your time tonight. Thanks for having me, Keith. Uh, BP originally said it could handle a spill by itself. It originally said it was, would just be 1,000 barrels a day. Uh, how has it, that affected this whole thing, That what they said? Yeah, well, BP gave us, you know, they said, trust us. Mm -hmm. And they said they gave us a lowball estimate for the spill rate and left everyone with the impression that they could take care of it themselves. Um, I think, thankfully, the Obama administration didn't trust them. Uh, NOAA did their own calculation and realized that this thing, uh, spill rate was five times what BP said. It's 200,000 gallons a day. And so Obama declared all hands on deck. And, you know, he sent out the Coast Guard and EPA and Interior. But I think BP BP's initial reaction, uh, you know, has been, you know, has made this mess a lot uh, tougher to clean up. The, uh, the, the cause of the explosion is yet to be determined. The cause of the safety valve uh, not engaging fully yet to be determined. But does that mean it's too early to determine whether or not regulation was an issue here? Well, you know, you had the quote from Palin. Everyone said, this is clean, this is safe. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that BP was not using the latest technology. You know, Brazil requires this uh, backup cutoff switch uh, that BP was not using. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that BP has fought tougher regulations. They want the voluntary self-regulation, trust me approach. Obviously, that doesn't work. But, you know, I don't think this should come as a big surprise. Uh, for eight years, this country was led by two oil guys, two fossil fuel guys. They looked the other way. They didn't regulate tough. So we've had the worst mine disaster in decades. We had just had another mine disaster. Now we've had a big oil disaster. I don't think it's a coincidence. And this whole uh, press to get past regulation is summarized by Ms. Palin's uh, really sort of, um, I can't quite describe what kind of misunderstanding she has of this situation, but it is so simplistic as to be maddening. Uh, 9th of April, she said in New Orleans, it's perfectly safe to drill in the Gulf. Eleven days later, eleven people are, are missing and presumed dead. And now we have this situation at 20 days later. Yeah. How is that energy credentially naive Tae thing working out for her? Yeah, well, Palin, you know, she said she uh, was an expert on foreign policy because she could see Russia from her home. If she'd have looked in the other direction, she'd have seen Prince William Sound, where the Exxon Valdez uh, spilled all that oil and, you know, caused an environmental disaster. Well, this BP spill, uh, if it keeps up at the current rate in 50 days, it will um, be worse than the Exxon Valdez. And I spoke to a friend of mine who was a 20-year Coast Guard veteran, and he said these well blowouts, they can take months to cap, and that this oil is going to percolate and cause devastation to, you know, fish. I think we all remember the Exxon Valdez pictures mm -hmm. of the oil-covered uh, shores and, and birds and fish. So, you know, I, I think we've, we believed people when they said you can drill clean and safely in the Gulf, but I think we've now learned otherwise. Very briefly, is this going to change the Obama administration's point of view on this subject? 
Well, I think the Obama administration, you know, this was, uh, uh, this is going to go on for a while. I think this is going to change the Obama administration position. The good news is, just this week, they announced, you know, the first offshore wind project uh, uh, off of Cape Cod. They've announced uh, the biggest fuel economy standards. So they've always had an approach that, that was aimed on uh, clean energy. And I think that's, it's the clean, safe energy of the 21st century uh, that never runs out, which is where the future lies. Good day, sunshine. I need to laugh, and when the sun is out, I got something I can laugh about. I feel good in a special way. I'm in love, and it's a sunny day. We had a gigantic oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, of course. It started about 50 miles off the coast of Louisiana. Uh, it is apparently going to make landfall uh, tonight, Thursday night. Uh, it is uh, was just three miles uh, off the coast uh, earlier today. Uh, it is uh, larger than the size of Rhode Island. It's a gigantic oil spill. And finally today, uh, BP admitted, yeah, it's five times larger than we admitted earlier. Sorry, our bad. And by the way, we're in a panic. We don't know how to stop it. Before, when we said the government wasn't telling the truth uh, about our ability to contain it, well... That wasn't really true. It turns out we do need the government's help, and desperately, please send in the cavalry. So they've asked the Obama administration, they've asked the local states, please help. Send whatever you got. Send the National Guard. Send the Defense Department. We don't know how to contain it. Uh, right now, over 100,000 barrels of oil has already been spilled. Uh, 5,000 extra barrels uh, are being spilled every day, at least, uh, as it gets closer and closer to the Louisiana coast, uh, it has already spilt 4.2 million gallons of oil. Exxon Valdez was the largest at 11 million, so already it's close to half of that and growing larger by the day. And remember, it's 5,000. The original drilling was uh, 5,000 feet below water, nearly a mile below water, and so there's enormous pressure on that. We actually got an email from an insider in the industry today. We got a lot of insiders. Um, Watch out, TYT armies everywhere. And that person said, look, as someone in the industry, I can tell you, this offshore drilling is by its very nature incredibly dangerous. And no matter how many government regulators you have, because yesterday on the show we are talking about there has to be safety, uh, you know, uh, guidelines and regulators, et cetera. Because remember, 11 people died in, in the original fire to begin with. They're missing, presumed dead. Uh, and uh, the person who wrote in said, look, no matter how many guys you come in to inspect it, when there's that much pressure underwater, it's going gonna, it's gonna to spring out at the, at the slightest problem. And what they were saying is we shouldn't do offshore drilling at all because it's that dangerous by its very nature. Now, I don't know if that's accurate, but it was interesting that someone in the industry emailed us to tell us that. And so when they tell you, oh, no, no, the Republicans or the oil industry, oh, we have the latest technology, we got this thing figured out, don't worry, nothing can go wrong. Well, it is obviously wrong, as we see here, and as uh, logic dictates. So uh, now uh, the fishermen are uh, obviously very, very concerned about what's going to happen to their industry. There's already a, a lawsuit from uh, some people, uh, two commercial shrimpers suing BP for $5 million because they're they're not going to be able to, you know, do what they do to earn a living. Uh, 
In fact, one of the most ominous things I read about this was about uh, people who uh, collect oysters. You know, obviously they went out and tried to get as much as they possibly could uh, before the oil hit the oysters. But the part that I found interesting was they started eating the oysters themselves. I thought that's interesting. And now, of course, they're just eating a tiny uh, percentage of it and they're going to sell the rest. But I thought, you know, they're around oysters all the time. Why did the article even mention that they were eating it? Well, they asked them, and they said, well, we just wanted to get one last taste, because once the oil hits, you don't know the next time you're going to be able to eat oysters from this area. You literally have no idea how long it'll be before you can eat oysters again from that area. And so they just wanted to get one last taste. I mean, that was kind of chilling. And uh, right now, as we uh, speak, uh, there they have no way of stopping it. Uh, they're asking uh, not only the local states and the federal government to help, but they're asking local fishermen to help. Uh, everybody's out there trying to uh, get a handle on it, but uh, it doesn't look like uh, they've been successful yet. And uh, it looks like there's leaks in three different areas. And, and they're not even entirely sure where they are. There is an impending environmental disaster looming right off our nation's fragile coastline. I'm speaking, of course, about the new wind farm off of Cape Cod that the Obama administration just approved. A wind farm? Do you know how dangerous that is? What if it breaks and we have a catastrophic wind spill? The last one nearly destroyed New Orleans. Speaking of Louisiana, there's another little story that caught my eye. The explosion of an offshore oil rig, which resulted in crude oil being pumped into the ocean. The ocean hasn't seen that much oil since the cast of Jersey Shore all went swimming at the same time. Now, I don't understand, I don't understand all of the fuss that is being made over spilling a little oil into the ocean. We're only talking about 42,000 gallons a day. The Coast Guard says it may actually be five times that, 210,000 gallons a day. Oh. <laughs> but what is that, like 80 miles of toxic sludge? 600 miles of toxic sludge. Still, what's that? The size of Rhode Island? A swath of oil that's now bigger than the state of Delaware. Fine, but the ocean's a big place. If you floated Delaware out there, you couldn't even see it. So big now, you can see it from space. <laughs> well, regardless of how big it is, it's hundreds of miles offshore. 15 miles from shore. Good. Good. Then we can get to it and stop it from reaching land. I don't think you're going to stop this oil from reaching land. Yeah, but <laughs> even if it makes landfall, what's it going to do? Incredible uh, devastation to the, the estuary ecosystem of, of Louisiana. Okay, but <laughs> this is all part of drill, baby, drill. Now and then, you get an oil slick the size of Delaware growing by 210,000 gallons a day that will devastate all the local wildlife and can't be stopped. 
The thing to remember is that eventually nature will work this thing out because time is on our side. Time is not on anybody's side. <laughs> All right. Everybody just calm down. There's no need to get heated, particularly because you don't want a heat source anywhere near that thing. It will explode. I'll tell you, folks, i tell you what worries me about this, that this oil spill is going to give lefty environmentalists like Barack Obama a chance to say, I told you so. It turns out, by the way, that oil rigs today generally don't cause spills. Oh. <laughs> I guess there's nothing to worry about. So if you're heading to the beach this weekend in Louisiana, don't forget your suit. Sand is hurting my tender feet. The air smells like rotting fish in solar cane. I hate the people on the beach with their towels and umbrellas. They're so Matt, I've been a little busy down here. I guess you know what I do. I handle the actual trial of, of complex cases, and um, Bobby Kennedy and I certainly hire, handle all the environmental cases uh, all over the U.S. But this oil, Gulf oil spill, is such an ugly story. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm down here in the midst of it, and I've been— You're, this is you're, what I've you're been, knee-deep in the gunk? Yeah, this is what I've been dealing with for uh, for days now. You know, it's a massive spill, and the the thing that is the, the thing that is that makes me so angry, and mainstream media has not picked this up yet, but the, the U.S. government is uh, is part of the reason that this happened. Right there, there was something called uh, uh, well, it's it's an acoustic. It, it's called a, a, an acoustic uh, stabilizer, and it's something that when you have an explosion. At depth, at any surface in the rig, mm -hmm. this acoustic mechanism closes it down immediately. Now, this acoustic system is used all over the world. Right. Most of the places, it's required all over the world. Uh, but the minerals department here in the United States said, no, we don't want to make our friends in the oil industry use this. Right. They fought it. It was uh, such a small investment. To, to try to, to, to avoid this kind of thing. Right. It, this thing that happened was completely avoidable with simply having that mechanism a in little, place. A little piece of equipment there. A, a small piece of equipment. Right. But instead what you have is you have BP – uh, you've got uh, you've got four uh, you've got Halliburton you've got four other uh, you've got four other companies right that if I were to sum it up here's what happened yeah they failed to have state of the art equipment yeah they failed to inspect the equipment they had right they failed to train the people that were on the facility to mm -hmm. to be able to stop this right uh, they failed even after the event took place they failed to take to tell us the truth, right. which would have solved the problem somewhat by having a bigger organization come to the site and say, yeah, we're here. But instead, what they did is they lied. Mm -hmm. They lied to the American public. When they sent the first probe down, Matt, yeah. they understood what they were trying to say. If they could have stopped it, 
if they could have stopped the first day, which was forty-five thousand gallons. Well, now, no, no, I take it back. It's one hundred twenty thousand. Actually, the gallons. last the last estimate, it's two two hundred and ten thousand. Yes, well, but I'm talking about the first day before, before more the, the other. Leaks yeah, okay. So you yeah. had at least one hundred twenty-five thousand a day. Mm-hmm. They were trying to to quietly shut that down, right? Thinking they didn't have to tell anybody. Yeah. So what they did is they kept every they kept the Coast Guard in the dark, and the Coast Guard, you know, is part of the problem here. The Coast Guard comes out, they say, oh. There's no problem here. Don't worry about it. They are simply an extension. Government has become an extension of this industry because right. this industry has so much money. Yeah. So so what they do, they, they find out that, yes, this is catastrophic. Yeah. The next day, they still don't tell the truth. Yeah. The next day, they know that there are other leaks, and it's not just 45,000 gallons a day. 210. And, yes, exactly. So they, they understand the longer they can keep the, the entire America in the dark, the more they can they can tell the lie that this is a safe industry, that everything's right. okay. Yeah. The truth is, this thing was avoidable. By simply having state-of-the-art equipment that was there. I mean, there was no question. It's used all over the world. By having a government that makes them do what they're supposed to do. That enforces the regulation. Enforces the regulation. By not getting cover from our president, Obama, who says, yeah, offshore drilling is okay with me, who had no insight at all. This constitutional law professor getting this terrible advice from corporate wogs. And saying, "Yeah, this is okay." So, so the point is, it, it's it's it is those all of those perfect situations for disaster. I live on the coast. The only reason I even choose to live in a place like Pensacola, Florida, for God's sakes, where it's you know eighty percent Republican, is we have nice beaches, right? Yeah, and I windsurf and I dive and I kite surf and I I do all those things. Yeah, and, and you take that away from the entire coast. Now, we have people coming in, Matt, mm-hmm. that their entire living. Is 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 fishing? It's right. oystering. It's shrimping. This changes what they do. This is like killing off all the buffalo. Right. They're out of business. Yeah. The people that own condos and rentals throughout this entire coast are barely hanging on. Their oh. tourism industry is the only thing that keeps them alive. Yeah. They're on their last leg. Yeah. Already they're having cancellations all along the coast where people who are in this business are saying, we, we, we can't do this. I mean, right. you know, I, I can't bring my family down there and worry about tar balls and oil slicks on the beach. So this is this is a massive problem. BP has a, a horrible reputation, yeah. horrible reputation for playing fairly. And uh, I, I'm going to go after them with both Bobby Kennedy and I, I, I can tell you. Yeah. We, we've assembled one of the best litigation teams in America. It's the same team that we put together for the Mr. Go case in Louisiana where we, you know, where we hit them uh, for the flooding in Louisiana. And uh, that that case was worth $3 billion. Now we just got to get the government to stand behind it. Right. But it's the same team. And it, and, and I, everybody's just as angry as I am because we're angry. It's, it's not, this doesn't just happen by itself. Right. By itself. This happens when a government falls asleep at the wheel and allows it to happen.
It's horrifying to watch the BP oil spill as it touches down on the reefs and beaches of Louisiana. The spill's enormous, with as many as 210,000 gallons a day gushing out of British Petroleum's underwater well that was damaged when the Transocean rig exploded earlier this week. And it couldn't have happened at a worse time. Whales and dolphins are swimming in the area. Brown pelicans are trying to raise their young there. Oyster catchers are migrating, as are other shorebirds, but the oysters, crabs, fish, and shrimp they rely on are going to be covered with poisonous oil. This is a man-made catastrophe and a preventable one. BP has one of the worst safety records of any oil company in the U.S., and it's lobbied Congress against increased regulations, as is the case of Massey Energy and its coal mining disaster. This one is the fatal result of reckless corporate behavior and too little regulation. And the oil spill has put a huge splotch on Barack Obama's plans to open up more areas to offshore drilling. At least for the moment, Obama's put these plans on hold pending an investigation into what went wrong. But the risk of a catastrophic oil spill has always been obvious. Obama himself warned about it during his presidential campaign. That was when he opposed offshore drilling. He should have stuck with that. don't know, George Will is a columnist and a journalist. And by columnist and journalist, I mean someone who just likes to make stuff up and say it on television and put it in a newspaper. You know, like he's hanging out with his friends in front of a 7-Eleven drinking 40s, instead of delivering news to the public. Like he did in this clip, for instance. And by the way, wind farms kill a lot more birds daily than are probably going to be killed in this oil spill. And, of course, that's not true. Current turbines properly placed kill about one bird per turbine per year. Do you know what kills more birds per year than wind turbines? Only everything. Everything. I mean everything, like tall buildings, pesticides, power lines, communication towers. All of these things kill more birds than wind turbines. Here's a stat for you. House cats in Wisconsin kill over 30 million birds a year. That's right. Wisconsin house cats kill 30 million birds a year. So if we're just going to start making up crazy facts, George Will, to support otherwise unsupportable positions, then fine. Did you know that guys with two first names kill more birds in one day than the poultry industry? Yeah, they do that. Because guys with two first names hate birds. And guess what? They don't even eat the birds they kill. Because they're that evil. Yeah, sure, the Gulf oil disaster will certainly kill thousands of birds and untold fish and other wildlife. It likely will destroy wetlands and cost the Gulf Coast states billions in dollars in business and cleanup costs. But George Will just made up this ridiculous fact that he pulled out of his ass that's kind of distracting and makes me forget that, that it's idiots like him that push for these crazy policies that allow these reckless and irresponsible, greedy companies to ruin our precious natural resources and ecosystems. And by the way, just in case you didn't know, FYI, George Will is an on-the-record liar. 
which in my day used to be a problem for a journalist. But, you know, the kids today with the hair and the clothes. What did he lie about? Well, George Will is one of those science deniers who doesn't like to believe in global warming. And he took a study that was done by the University of Illinois about global sea ice levels. And he lied about the data, not manipulated, but he presented the opposite of what the research found to be true. And he got caught on it. So I just wanted to share that with you. But it is good to know, seriously, it is good to know that George Will is such a bird lover, isn't it? Because guess what, George? I got a bird right here I'd like to give to you. Hi, everyone. Now, running this podcast is an absolute passion of mine that I've been pursuing for years. But, of course, everyone understands that it takes a little bit of money to get along in this world. And that's where the members come in. Members sign up and donate as little as $5 a month, which allows me to pump out 10 episodes per month now. So while you're thinking about that and rationalizing that little expense, just realize it breaks down to only 50 cents per episode, and it's even less if you sign up for a full year. And beyond that, in return, you get access to a set of members-only raw feeds, and these deliver audio plus video clips from the show as well as a separate feed just for bonus content that would otherwise end up on the cutting room floor. So for details, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks for your support. But we begin on the Gulf Coast of America, the region so nice it's been devastated twice. As you know, a British petroleum oil platform blew up two weeks ago, dealing a potentially crushing blow to our nations describing the size of things industry. The Coast Guard is right now watching an oil spill from the air and reports that the pollution so far seems minimal. 200 barrels of oil spread over 16 square miles. The ever-expanding oil slick that is roughly the size of Ohio. The size of Delaware and Rhode Island combined. The size of the island of Jamaica. The size of the state of Maryland. The size of the state of New Jersey. 130 miles long, 70 miles wide. The size of Puerto Rico. I'm an oil spill in America. I'm a fish kill in America. Turn water to smell in America. Gas tanks you can fill in America. <laughs> Most trusted man in news. So we found out useless size comparison metrics is there another equally useless yet slightly more pejorative bit of shorthand we can use to describe the response to the spill some are even calling this obama's hurricane katrina is this obama's katrina calling this obama's katrina this could become hurricane katrina of the obama administration Katrina, I just met Obama's Katrina. <laughs> Dear President Obama, we're really upset. <laughs> Everything's dead in my shrimp trawler's net. Look, uh, if you like these songs, you'll love my new Broadway show. John Stewart presents the West Side Story Oil Spill Parody Songbook. With it's like when you're a jet of oil, there's a place for gas, and a spill like that will kill your otter. <laughs> for our economy to function. It's buried deep within our planet's crust. 
The extraction process is going to be fraught with peril, environmental and otherwise. It's not like we're so blinded by our deep and abiding need for oil that we kid ourselves about the dangers. It is safe to drill, and we need to do more of that. Well, we can do this in an environmentally sound way. Our companies have done a wonderful job making sure that we are both environmentally sound, but also able to produce the energy. They do drill today in an environmentally safe way. Oil rigs today generally don't cause spills. They are technologically very advanced. The environmentalists are wrong, uh, actually. We can drill safely off the shores of, of America. Spoken like true scientists. <laughs> from the first reel of a disaster movie. <laughs> if only these pre-spill politicians like Senator Mary Landrum from Louisiana had listened to post-spill realists like Senator Mary Landrum of Louisiana. No one has ever claimed, including myself, who's an unabashed opponent, a proponent of the industry, um, that drilling is risk-free. you never claimed it, you emphatically stated it. <laughs> so what do we do now? One solution, put a, a dome on it, then stick a straw in it, basically, and siphon that, that oil to the surface. The drill will make a horizontal turn, eventually penetrating the original well bore, then filling it with cement to permanently close off the leak. As you can imagine, this is like doing open heart surgery. Uh, at 5,000 feet with, in the dark with uh, robot-controlled submarines. And it's your son on the table. <laughs> and the doctor is a woman. <laughs> now, British Petroleum has promised to pay for the cleanup. They're so environmentally beautiful. <laughs> they promised to pay for the cleanup and help do whatever it takes to mitigate the financial and environmental impact. They are no way dodging responsibility, right? BPCOO. One final question for you this morning that a lot of people want to know, who's ultimately to blame here? Is it BP? I don't know. I, I actually don't know. I really, <laughs> I, I, I really don't know. Uh, Goldman Sachs? Maybe? Is it their fault? Maybe they did it? I mean, I, I don't know whose fault the spill is. All I'm saying is I woke up in the hooker's apartment, she was dead, and I was covered in blood. <laughs> it could have been anybody. Our top item today, a new conservative conspiracy theory emerged in the wake of the catastrophic oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Right-wing media figures are suggesting that the oil rig explosion which predicated the spill was an act of sabotage in order to halt offshore drilling. I'm not trying to introduce a conspiracy theory, mm -hmm. but was this deliberate? You know, you have to wonder. Sabotage? Um, yeah, there was sabotage involved. What better way to head off more oil drilling, nuclear plants, than by blowing up a rig. The conspiracy theorists would say, maybe they'd let it leak for a while and then they address That's the issue. That, that would be a Not that it would have been different. That would no, make listen, a humongous Gretchen, accusation. It would be a humongous accusation and probably the net result would be no different, but if they're gonna try and pull drilling, that may be the way. However, contrary to Bowling's suggestion that response to the explosion was delayed, the Deputy Secretary of the Interior and the Coast Guard were immediately dispatched to the region.
what happened to um, the bill, that, the energy bill that Obama was going to propose? Remember the big compromise? Hey, genius idea of uh, I'll give in to the Republicans before uh, we even get to negotiations. And uh, Obama said, all right, don't worry, the new energy bill will have so much more offshore drilling. And then we had this disaster, and then Obama was overheard saying, oops. Obama, how do you feel about including that in the bill now? Yeah, I regret it. I'm sorry. He's saying I'm sorry. That was just my mistake and my bad. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. So uh, now Bill Nelson, the s senator from Florida, also the senators from New Jersey, saying that Obama's energy proposal is dead on arrival. That as long as it includes offshore drilling, none of those senators will come within 100 miles of it. And uh, so it's not going to work. And now if they don't do the offshore drilling, they lose all the Republicans. But you were going to lose all the Republicans anyway. The one guy they might have had on their side on this was Lindsey Graham. And what did Lindsey Graham do? He, he did this earlier uh, this week anyway. He said, oh, no, if you're going to consider immigration, then I'm not uh, with you on the energy bill. Look, he was going to find some excuse. They always do. They're never with you. I mean, I really wonder what goes on inside the Obama administration. Do they sit there and go, oh, we know they're not going to be on our side, but let's pretend for the sake of the cameras and stuff. Or are they like, hey, we got Lindsey Graham. Great. Let's give him all these concessions. Let's give him all these Oh, no. Lindsey's not going to vote with us because of immigration. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Golly gee, willikers. And we just lost all the Democrats, too, because we did the compromise with a Republican who, it turns out, wasn't going to sign the deal anyway before negotiations even began. Look, man, I'm telling you, I might have gotten more grief when I went after Obama on that than anything else, okay, on any other issue. And everybody said, oh, Jake, you don't understand. Obama's a genius. His compromises are so brilliant, they blind you. You can't understand their logic. Okay? How's that logic working out for you now? Energy bill, dead on arrival. Okay? Now, by the way, final twist to that. Uh, guess who wins in the end? Corporate America. Why? Because now the energy bill's totally dead. Okay, yeah, sure, there won't be a little bit more offshore drilling, but there also won't be any fix. There won't be any reform. So, ironically, the oil companies are ecstatic about this. They're like, oh, there was an oil spill. That means you're not going to reform the oil industry. Hmm. Funny how that works out. Democrats and Republicans agree we'll have no reform. They win no matter what happens. Unless we had a president who was an ass kicker, and he said, hey, you know what? Here's the new reform bill, and I'm going to shove it down your throat, and I'm not going to talk about compromises, and if you don't agree, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? Lindsey Graham and all the other Republicans, they're the ones that gave you drill, baby, drill that caused oil spills like this. No, but I'm, uh, I, I'm being unreasonable. That wouldn't be the smart way to go. Well, Obama went really, really smart, and now we have apparently, if you believe the senators, a 0% chance of passing an energy reform bill. How do you like that kind of genius?
have forgotten the images of the birds, the estimated quarter of a million birds killed when the Exxon Valdez ran aground off the coast of Alaska two decades ago. Our fifth story in the countdown, more than a week after an oil rig explosion in the Gulf of Mexico prompted an environmental disaster with the potential to eclipse the Exxon Valdez, the crisis has reached its first bird, a young northern gannet found offshore today at Fort Jackson, Louisiana, about 70 miles southeast of New Orleans, normally white with a yellow head and long pointed beak. This northern gannet was black, its feathers covered in thick, dark oil. The National Weather Service predicting heavy winds and high tides through Sunday, which could complicate efforts to hold back the massive oil slick, threatening to coat as many as 400 different species of birds, marine, and animal life. In effect, an entire hurricane of oil bearing down upon Gulf Coast tonight. Engineers still trying to figure out how to stop the well from spewing from some 5,000 barrels of oil per day deep underwater, a task complicated by the fact that much of the oil rig platform is now at the bottom of the Gulf itself. The well's purported fail-safe mechanism, a so-called blowout preventer, which was supposed to shut off the oil flow in an emergency, so far has done no such thing. Teams now drilling a relief well to decrease pressure and slow the leak. That is the good news. The bad news is finishing the relief well could take three months. Interior Secretary Salazar naming the effort to seal the wellhead and clean up the oil spill the top priorities. I have asked other companies from across the oil and gas industry to bring their global expertise to the situation to make sure that no idea that is worth pursuing is not pursued. We cannot rest and we will not rest until BP permanently seals the wellhead and until they clean up every drop of oil. As the federal coordinators overseeing BP's efforts, we're here to make sure that the resources are being used wisely and to the greatest effect in minimizing environmental risk. Meanwhile, today, a second oil drilling rig overturning in Louisiana, a shallow water rig located slightly inland, floating in a navigational channel near Morgan City. Coast Guard investigators saying that the rig is not leaking fuel yet. Local and federal officials with enough on their hands as it is. The Pentagon today getting its first orders to help. Two Air Force planes will spray chemicals to help break up the oil slick. And the Navy still planning to open its bases in Mississippi and the Florida Panhandle as staging areas, sending booms, skimmers, and contractors down to the effort. Defense Secretary Gates approving an ironic request from last year's anti-disaster preparedness spokesman, Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal, for the federal government to pay for 6,000 state National Guard troops. But Pentagon officials say they ultimately expect full reimbursement from the state of Louisiana. The White House pushing back against criticism that it has not done enough, fast enough, responding to the oil spill. The Associated Press asking in a rare moment of naked partisanship, quote, will this be Obama's Katrina should the federal and state governments have done more and earlier? Press Secretary Gibbs calling, quote, the notion we haven't been there from the get-go, badly uninformed, adding that more than 1,800 people died in Katrina. Senior advisor Axelrod calling the criticism business as usual. This is always the case in Washington that uh, whenever something like this happens, uh, the political speculation uh, uh, sets in. But the truth of the matter is that uh, we had the Coast Guard on the scene almost immediately uh, after this accident. The Deputy Secretary of the Interior was on the ground the next day, and we've been coordinating uh, closely with the local authorities and with the responsible party, BP, uh, down there to deal with this from the very beginning. At the Rose Garden, the president saying that his government fully prepared to meet its responsibilities, adding that the buck stops with the oil company, BP. BP is ultimately responsible under the law for paying the costs of response and cleanup operations. But we are fully prepared to meet our responsibilities to any and all affected communities.
and that's why we've been working closely with state and local authorities since the day of the explosion. There are now five staging areas to protect sensitive shorelines. Approximately 1,900 federal response personnel are in the area and more than 300 response vessels and aircraft on the scene 24-7. President Obama putting a hold on his new offshore drilling policy until the investigation of this oil spill is complete. Mr. Obama saying he is still committed to drilling here in the U.S. I continue to believe that domestic oil production is an important part of our overall strategy for energy security. But I've always said it must be done responsibly for the safety of our workers and our environment. The local economies and livelihoods of the people of the Gulf Coast, as well as the ecology of the region, are at stake. One half of the ticket which ran against Obama during the 2008 presidential election using the slogan, Drill Baby Drill, taking to her Twitter page to say in multiple tweets, having worked, lived through Exxon oil spill, my family and I understand Gulf residents' fears. Our prayers are with you. All industry efforts must be employed. And later, domestic drilling, why we can still believe. Linking through to her Facebook page, wherein the human oil slick writes, in part, no human endeavor is ever without risk, whether it's sending a man to the moon or extracting the necessary resources to fuel our civilization. I repeat the slogan, drill here, drill now. Not out of naivete or disregard for the tragic consequences of oil spills, I continue to believe in it because increased domestic oil production will make us a more secure, prosperous, and peaceful nation. That woman's ghost tweeter is an idiot. So sad now, no way out, the bottom of despair, hormones raging, going crazy, is there another boy who cares, deep water, pulling me down, deep water, afraid I'll drown. It was two years ago. This coming June, the Newt Gingrich emerged from a Republican confab, a high-level Republican confab, and tweeted to his followers on Twitter the news that he was pushing for a new slogan for the Republican presidential nominee, and he was going to push for it, and, and he was urging all of his Republican friends to push for it, too. As far as I know, this is where it started. And the slogan was, drill here, drill now. And the third part of it, you may not remember, was pay less. How's that pay lessy thing working out for you? So uh, it's not Sarah, pa Sarah Palin repeated it ad nauseum and then changed it to drill, baby, drill, because she's so soulful. But it started with Newt and his friends at that retreat two years ago. Guess who we haven't heard from lately in the last week on this whole thing? Oh, Nudie. Nudie, here, baby. Uh, he's on a book tour, film tour, hiding from the media tour, some kind of tour. It's uh, it's bad out in the Gulf. And, um, you know, we, we live in a world where probably glib reassurances maybe shouldn't be taken at face value anymore. When you say it, it really is, in a way, a tribute to the American can-do spirit. Probably the last refuge of the American can-do spirit that uh, a British oil company says, oh, of course we can put in a drill, a well, a mile down in the ocean floor and uh, with the enormous pressures that uh, 
things operate under that deep. And uh, it's fun. no way there's going to be a thing. And we believe it. Somebody believes it. Nobody says, are you, a mile down? Are you sh- Wouldn't you want to have like a backup for the backup for the backup? We have backups for our email, ladies and gentlemen. See what I'm saying? And that's that damage that doesn't damage anything but reputations. Tony Hayward, who became chief executive of British Petroleum in August 2007, made his first comments to the press the preceding February. Hayward, the current and at that time new chief of BP, said his strategy was to quote focus like a laser on safe and reliable operations, unquote. The laser broke. (laughs) Mr. Hayward, the laser broke. And there's more. Always there's more, of course, till it stops, till till the satellite breaks. Um, For those of you who just sort of automatically, sort of reflexively hear the word oil and uh, there's a little part of your brain that goes Halliburton, Um, This might be instructive. On Friday, Halliburton, the oil field services giant, responded to speculation that the Gulf disaster might have been related to cementing the process of installing casing to secure the walls of an oil well. A federal study has found that cementing problems were associated with almost half of the 39 offshore blowouts between 1992 and 2006, almost all in the Gulf of Mexico. Gulp. Gulp of Mexico. Halliburton, which performed a number of functions on this particular rig, including cementing, said in a statement it had completed the work well, just about 20 hours before the accident. It said it had considered, uh, sorry, conducted tests demonstrating the integrity of the cementing work. You got to trust Halliburton's tests, don't you think? Uh, they are named as a defendant in most of the more than two dozen lawsuits filed by Gulf Coast uh, businesses saying the oil spill could ruin them financially. One lawsuit filed by an injured technician on the rig alleges that Halliburton improperly performed its job in cementing the wall, increasing the pressure at the well, sorry, the well, increasing the pressure at the well and contributing to the fire explosion and resulting oil spill. But that's just a lawsuit. In the wake of the catastrophic oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, we reviewed how, in the past, some media figures have advanced the false talking point that oil drilling is environmentally safe. Here's Bill O'Reilly. Remember when Katrina hit, none of the oil rigs spilled in Louisiana. And here's Mike Huckabee. When Katrina, a Cat 5 hurricane, hit the Gulf Coast, not one drop of oil was spilled off of those rigs out in the Gulf of Mexico. Huckabee and O'Reilly neglected to mention that about 5,500 barrels actually did spill, according to a report by the U.S. Minerals Management Service. But today's most outrageous comment comes from conservative leader Rush Limbaugh, who agreed with a caller that President Obama somehow takes pleasure in the recent oil spill. Don't believe that Obama isn't jumping for joy over this. Ha, 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 you're right.
We are not backing down, despite the massive oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Now, environmentalists may have their tote bags in a bunch, but look on the bright side, guys. This brings us one step closer to a car that runs on seawater. Jim? An environmental disaster is growing in the Gulf of Mexico off the Louisiana coast. Massive in scope, running nearly a mile deep, spread across more than 1,800 square miles. It's roughly the size of Rhode Island. And that's good news because Rhode Island is the smallest state. <laughs> and the good news keeps rolling in. Fox News alert, the Coast Guard has indeed now set a massive oil spill on fire, trying to burn it off before it reaches the Gulf Coast. So, Gulf Coast residents, don't worry. You no longer have an oil slick the size of Rhode Island headed your way. Now it's just a wall of fire the size of Rhode Island. Who else feels like some blackened catfish? Laissez le bon temps flambé. You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. Now, you remember uh, all those Republicans with their drill baby drill and them telling us, no, you don't understand, and drilling uh, off the coast is perfectly safe. Uh, you don't hear from them that much anymore, do you? Any you hear from Sarah Palin or Michael Steele about what happened uh, in the Gulf of Mexico? No, all of a sudden they're not chanting drill baby drill. But we do have some old tapes for you guys in case you forgot, in case it was unclear. Uh, what their position on this was. Let's go to Sarah Palin. You even called drilling safe, environmentally friendly drilling offshore as raping the outer continental shelf. There, with new technology, with tiny footprints even on land, it is safe to drill and we need to do more of that. Look at these sources of energy here in Florida that are still sitting untapped and we'll tap into them. Along with environmentally friendly offshore production, we do need to drill here and drill now. Now you can chant the drill baby drill. Yes. Totally safe, environmentally friendly. Let's drill off the coast of Florida. Uh, well, that oil slick, which is gargantuan now, uh, much larger than the size of Rhode Island, uh, and five times bigger than BP originally admitted, spilling 200,000 gallons of oil every day, now estimates are saying that it might be larger than the Exxon Valdez spill, is heading to the coast of Florida. And their senator, Senator uh, Bill Nelson, said uh, that now any idea of offshore drilling is pretty much dead on arrival in Congress. And it's not going to happen because it turns out, shockingly enough, that environment that uh, the drilling was not quite as environmentally safe as Sarah Palin uh, assured us and mocked Biden over. Like, oh, you think that it's not safe to do offshore drilling? Now we hadn't heard a peep from her until uh, now. Finally, she on this topic uh, in on Friday tweeted out, having worked, lived through 
Exxon oil spill. My family and I understand Gulf residents' fears. Our prayers are with you. All industry efforts must be employed. Yeah, before it was drill, baby, drill, but now that the oil's about to wash up on your shore, well, I'll pray for you. And pretends she cares because her family went through Exxon Valdez. How so? And what lesson did you learn from that, Sarah? You went through Exxon Valdez spill, and the lesson you learned was drill, baby, drill. Sarah Palin doesn't have the good sense to lay low during this catastrophic oil spill in the Gulf, which seems to be getting worse every time I check. The drill baby drill instructor went to Kansas City over the weekend to give a talk to a conservative group called Preserving American Liberty. She warmed the crowd by saying, we believe that God shed his grace on thee, adding, we still believe that America is exceptional. And when she did discuss the BP oil spill, she managed at least to acknowledge that it's very tragic, but the spill hasn't given her any second thoughts about her position, which she may have arrived at without any first thoughts. Amid all the horrifying video of the BP oil spill and amid all the evidence that BP has repeatedly violated both environmental and safety standards, what was Palin's response? I want our country, she said, to be able to trust the oil industry. Well, they haven't earned our trust. Quite the contrary. They gouge us at the pumps, they propagandize us when they downplay global warming, and they cut corners on safety, so much so that now the fish and wildlife of the Gulf Coast is threatened, as is the livelihood of thousands upon thousands of people who work down there. Sarah Palin may want to trust big oil, but you and I sure shouldn't. So here we are again on America's Gulf Coast, the Louisiana shoreline, reporting on an environmental, economic, and human catastrophe. This fragile stretch of our country being ripped apart again, just as the wounds of the last disaster were beginning to heal here. That, of course, was Hurricane Katrina, which ravaged the barrier islands off the coast here and leveled much of Venice, Louisiana, where I'm sitting tonight. That was 2005. Here we are again in 2010. If there's a unifying truth in this state and this region, it is that the wetlands are the only means of survival. Nobody argues the points. Republicans, Democrats, nobody argues this point. The wetlands are to the Gulf Coast what bumpers and crumple zones are to cars. It's a buffer against the impact, uh, an absorber of destructive energy, a, a giant protector against disasters. Wetlands slow and weaken hurricanes before they reach places like New Orleans. They support wildlife. They support human economy. They are incredibly incredibly fragile and they have to be preserved if they are going to preserve us. The marshes were built by nature over thousands of years, built by the Mississippi River's floods, which left sediment and freshwater that pushed the edge of the continent out into the Gulf of Mexico by as much as 100 miles. But since the 1950s, the pursuit of profit has forced 8,000 miles of marshes to yield to man-made canals, essentially to make oil exploration and shipping easier. It's estimated that the state of Louisiana loses 25 square miles of wetlands every year. If we were losing that much land to another country, we would be at war. America has a choice to make about the state of Louisiana. Is Louisiana part of our country or isn't it? 
Because if Louisiana is part of America, then the American people and the American government have to begin to defend Louisiana against American greed and multinational greed. Because yes, legally, it's the job of BP, the oil company, to clean up this disaster that looms over these wetlands behind me right now. But who among us believes that any company really wants to defend America as much as we, as a nation, want to defend us? The gain sucked out of the seabed here is private. It's profit. It supersedes these pesky little regulatory bodies called countries. But the risk here, again, the risk here, as always, isn't private. It's public. It's national. It's American. It's born by Louisiana, again, literally born by the land here and by the people here. The incentives all line up neatly for the companies who profit off the natural resources here to take what they can and damn the consequences. But for us as a country, if we believe in Louisiana, somebody's got to stand up against those companies on behalf of the public, the land, the people, the country. Thanks for listening, everyone. I have a, a quick reminder, a big announcement, and some commentary for you coming up right after I thank a couple of members who make the show possible. Fraser B. signed up for his monthly membership back on November 25th, and Adam L. signed up for a full year in advance back on January 24th. Huge thanks to both of those members. Of course, it is the members more than anything else that makes this show possible in its current form. So now, of course, it is still the beginning of the month of May, so I want to continue to encourage you to vote over at Podcast Alley. The best way to do that is actually by going to my website, bestoftheleft.com, and clicking through on the Podcast Alley link. It takes about 30 seconds, and the point is it's, it's a voting contest that resets itself every month, so you only have to vote once a month, and, uh, and when you do that, it actually gets us up on the top 10 list, which makes the show more visible and is, you know, makes it found by new people who get to enjoy all the news and entertainment that you already get to appreciate. Secondly, I have a huge announcement that's kind of along the same lines as Podcast Alley. It takes about as much work, uh, so I need about 30 seconds of your time, uh, but this one's huge. This one's going to be really, really helpful. So, you know, you could do both, but if you're only going to pick one, do this one. So over the past few weeks, you've been hearing me talk about the fact that I have a great interest to attend the Netroots Nation Conference. That's the one in July in Las Vegas. And there's also the one in D.C. that I want to go to. But right now we're focused on Netroots Nation. So what I did over the past few weeks is, is launch a little fundraising campaign. I just want to uh, raise a little bit of extra money, try to raise $1,000 to help pay my way to both of these conferences so that I can go and attend and be active and then come back and tell you guys all about it and so forth. Well, just a few days ago, I got an email from actually, just by coincidence, everyone's favorite listener, Mike, who uh, you know does those great promos for me. So he uh, sent me an email saying, hey, why aren't you signed up to get a scholarship to go to Netroots Nation? And of course, I hadn't heard of this until he sent it to me. But as it turns out, Democracy for America, that's Howard Dean's organization, good, good group there, they are sponsoring a scholarship program for worthy candidates to have, uh, you know, at least part of their way paid to get to Netroots Nation. So I've signed up. I've, you know, essentially nominated myself. And now I need you to go and show your support. And what I need is actually about 600 
more supporters than I have right now. I send it out over Twitter and Facebook and by email. And so at, the, at this moment, I've got about 85 supporters somewhere in that neighborhood. I need about 600 more from the listening audience, which is entirely doable. And I, I think about that much will get us, you know, a shoe in to, to get me to Netroots Nation. And now don't worry, you know, if, if you already donated to help uh, get me to these conferences, of course, that money will just be earmarked and rolled over to the next big event I need to get to. Uh, you know, next next time some something big is happening, I just won't have to raise as much money because it'll already be there. So the way you show your support is just by going to my website. There's a banner at the top, which will link you to the URL, which is way too long for me to say on the show. So just go to bestoftheleft.com and at the top of the page, there's a big noticeable link to Netroots Nation. And that'll take you to the Democracy for America scholarship nomination page. It, you know, it's, it's my page with my profile on there. And then you just click through, uh, give them a little bit of information, name and email address, that sort of thing. And that's it. Now, finally, as promised, I have a little bit of commentary on this whole oil spill thing. This, uh, idea was brought to me by the fact that I was having a conversation with a friend recently who said that she was really upset about the oil spill because of the animals that were going to be affected. You know, she just hated the idea that these totally innocent animals were going to be, you know, killed or uh, displaced or injured or, you know, whatever horrible number of things that's going to happen to them because of our energy policy and you know, our oil exploration and all these things. And the fact that we don't just do this, but then we screw it up every once in a while and spill oil all over the place. And that got me thinking about how the people who are most concerned with the cleanup and who are far and above the most likely to want to volunteer as she did. She wanted to go and volunteer and help clean up for the sake of the animals and the environment. The people who are most interested in doing that are the exact opposite people of the ones who advocated for the policies that led to this in the first place. Now, of course, this is just my impression. I would love to be proven wrong about this, but my impression is that of those people who were chanting drill, baby, drill, I really doubt that they're going to be the majority of people signing up to go and clean up the mess that their advocacy brought us to. And frankly, this reminds me a lot of this overarching concept that can be applied to almost any area of public policy where the, uh, you know, the conservatives who kind of have this idea of doing things the old way, not looking forward and not having a long vision of the future, kind of have a, you know, a short sighted vision of things do whatever's best for you right now and that'll eventually lead to things being good in the long term. If you always do what's best for you at this moment, then you'll always be doing what's best and that'll continue on into the future. Whereas my perception is that the progressives have a much longer view of, well, let's look forward and let's do things now that'll benefit us down the line. And what that ends up doing is creating a scenario where they're constantly fucking things up and we're constantly cleaning up after them. Whether it be, you know, getting into horrible wars that we have to then extricate ourselves from, whether it be, you know, blowing up the deficit, which the Democrats then come in and, you know, slowly lower the deficit, lower the debt, or whether it be this type of insane energy policy where we pursue a policy that everyone can recognize is finite. 
everyone recognizes that oil and coal and so forth, these are all finite resources. And then it's blatantly obvious that they're dirty and dangerous. To take a look at the coal mine explosion, the oil rig explosion, you know, you can't look at these things. I mean, you cannot compare them to a solar panel or a wind farm in terms of the, the danger and the dirtiness of these energies. And to say, well, what's best for us right now is to keep our economy going. We need the energy. We need it right now. So this is how we have to do it. And that's what we should focus on versus, well, let's look at where we need to get to and put our focus on the steps along that path that is going to get us to the ultimate future that we need to be at, which in turn will actually have us, you know, utilizing more energy that's cleaner and safer right now. So my basic conclusion on this is that uh, conservatives to me are essentially children and progressives are adults. And it's frustrating to always have to be the adult and kind of take charge and say, okay, this is what's good and this is what's bad and let me teach you how to do things the right way and let's move forward. But I guess these are just the realities of parenting. So that's it for today. Please continue to support the show by telling everyone you know about it. Stay tuned into the show between episodes on Twitter and Facebook and even spread the word to your online networks that way. For more information on the show, including links to all the sources and all the music used in this and every episode, all of that is always linked on the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of the DC Beltway, my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month now, thanks entirely to the support of the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Hi there, it's Mike. Here's another unsolicited moment for the podcast listeners. Some things have changed since I sent my first message to Jay. The main change? More podcasts. Ten a month. And there's the iPod apps, the bonus clips divided into different categories for the subscribers. And now Jay has made this podcast his full-time job. Plus, Jay won the Best Produced Podcast of the Year Award. By using the Amazon link on the Best of the Left podcast site, you can contribute with every purchase you make at reduced prices on just about every Thing. At Amazon, you can buy music, downloads, furnish your apartments, fill up your cupboards with linens, food, computer supplies, appliances, and on and on and on. Not just the Amazon DVDs and books. In fact, it's hard to name anything that you can't buy at Amazon. And you're contributing at the same time without paying a penny more. Now, my Social Security retirement check doesn't allow for much shopping, but I still manage to make sure Jay has my $5 subscription month after month. It's great to know that even on a meager income, I'm making a big difference in our world, keeping the Best of the Left podcast going and growing and ensuring progressive concepts are introduced, heard, and passed on. I'm proud to be a part of that, and you will be too. Do your part. 
do what you can. Thanks.